And now for the clap. One, two, three, clap. All right. All clapped. <laughs> We've, We've all got the clap. <laughs> no, you made the joke before I did. Sorry. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta watch that one. She'll just swoop in and take the joke. Yeah. It's like you're you know, a clever person or something. You know, that's that's what women do. Like my research has taught me one thing: it's that women don't really have any original ideas or anything to contribute to society except making babies. Uh, well, you know, we just we just leech off of the labor and the ingenuity of men. Because mm -hmm. since since you made the joke before <laughs> me, I'm just gonna say you stole my valor. Uh, <laughs> oh, too much stolen valor in this uh, in this podcast. Oh, but seriously, people who do that are shitty. Stop it. Uh... What stealing valor? <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Do people? Is that still a thing? Do people still steal valor? Because I... it's like, if you go back and you look at like the kind of like leading figures of the American far right since the end of the Vietnam War, a ton of them, like people like David Duke, uh, that old Klansman guy, and a bunch of these people would all like, like I was in like a war and I I fought and did all these things and like literally none of them did. But there was no internet to go and verify, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, a lot harder to, like, check people's backgrounds, I feel mm. like, back then. Yeah. I'm, I'm always dubious when I, when I hear someone, like, talking about, like, saying something or talking about something like, you know, like, I deserve this because I'm a veteran. Because I've actually never heard anyone say something like that in, like, my real life. Right. And I look at my parents, both Navy vets, and my dad is like, yeah, I went to Vietnam, but most of the time I was perfectly safe on a beach or playing Santa Claus in a parade. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, and the only. And my, oh, go ahead. And my, and my mom is even better. She's like, well, one time, like. A pilot passed out while I was in a plane. That's about the most danger I was ever in. <laughs> yeah, like the only time your dad got shot at, like, didn't he not have his gun with him? He'd like yeah, forgotten like, it or something. It's like I never needed, so I didn't take it. <laughs> That's amazing. I just ducked. <laughs> yeah. And the only like actual combat veterans I've ever known, like, just never talked about it. They're just like, yeah, well, like whatever is the thing. I don't want to talk about it. It's like fair enough. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Exactly. Well. Like not that I would ever ask, but like none of them have I guess occasionally like once or twice one of them was like, yeah, we saw this really cool explosion. <laughs> right. But that's about the extent of it. <laughs> right. Uh, but well. spe speaking of people who don't steal valor, uh the the people liberating Venus in this episode of Exosquad. Uh <laughs> They're the real about. heroes. They're the they're, real yeah, heroes. they're the real heroes that we're talking about on ExoFriends on the Elder Millennial Network. I am David Hoyt, joined by Kayvon Fashami and Lexi DeKerning. Did you like that segue? That was, that was nice great. One. That was a very good segue. Way to bring us back on task. You would make a good teacher in that sense. <laughs> I've actually like not 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 the teacher route, but I've actually oftentimes considered like switching from doing the work to being like a project manager. Yeah. Not that project managers don't work very hard. They don't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just keeping other people on track is itself a full-time job sometimes. Yes. And I always end up doing that in like meetings. Like people like start talking about shit that's not related to like the project we're working on. I'd be like, anyways, we were talking about this. And move <laughs> right. on. Chit chat. It's on also a, time. it's also a skill for DMs. 
Yes. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, am currently DMing, and yes, it is very much like oh, this is like teaching. I had to wrangle everybody and keep everyone on task. Like, listen, I know you all want to spend the next forty-five minutes talking about how you're going to wrangle a bunch of bums to throw shit at the rich politician's house, but that's not what you actually started off tonight talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> We need to keep the story moving, folks. We've been here for three yeah. hours. That's specific examples from our D&D group. Uh, <laughs> but, but this episode is called Miracle, and it was written by Mark Edens and Lynn Wine. I think I'm saying that name right. Is this the first uh, appearance from Lynn Wine? Yes, I think yes. it is. And he, he unfortunately passed away in 2017, but he had a very long career of writing uh for cartoons and comic books um mo mostly for big names in dc and marvel like spider-man fantastic four x-men wolverine batman watchman blue beetle flash he just keeps going and going and going yeah wow. <laughs> yeah that's impressive yeah and like not like one-offs in a lot of cases either like 10 episode like 10 issue story runs at a time like an arc yeah, yeah. Uh, also, editor for um, who's the guy who wrote The Watchmen? Uh, oh, Alan oh Moore. my God, out! Yeah, yeah, yeah. An editor for Alan Moore. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about trying to keep someone on track. Um, <laughs> uh, but the uh, the episode starts with uh, the invasion of Venus is basically over. Uh, the Neo Sapiens have been defeated, and Alec and JT are interrogating prisoners who are reluctant to give him any information. It, the, can, can we just like stop to take a moment to recognize like this episode starts with a really like very like somber image like we actually mm -hmm. we like backed up and started the episode again just so we could kind of look at it a little bit more but yeah the the, the way the neo sapiens are depicted in this opening scene is really uh i don't know what the word is like harrowing powerful even you know powerful it's a, yeah 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 it's like a really strong kind of, you know, because it opens on the one like Neo Sapien looking crestfallen, and then you see um, his comrades, and there's another lady, lady Neo Sapien present even, but they're all ragged. They look like um, pretty rough. The one guy doesn't have pants, uh, which I found pretty like amusing, but at the same time, it's also like they look very reminiscent of the humans after Earth fell in the early episodes, um, yeah. and it's a really kind of just like stark kind of you know reverse of fortunes um there's like mm -hmm. some somber music playing and it's just like a really it's a really striking kind of image and a really like i don't know it's it really more than anything thus far that we've seen i think drives home the fact that like the neo sapiens are absolutely losing the war yeah yeah i mean they are they are beat in yeah. every sense of the word yeah at this point yeah just um, nice image really nice bit of art and like animation just like mm -hmm. again top quality and just yeah. makes you feel for them like mm -hmm. again the whole there's no like clear good guy bad guy sometimes that's yeah uh, well, i think I, I think i think beyond like the most evil of evil people like any human being can look at the soldiers on either side of a war at the end of that war and be mm -hmm. like oh wow these guys got fucked up <laughs> like, yeah. yeah yeah like the human suffering is real and they are like, yeah. you know, I mean, they are humans, like in their own sort of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I like I liked how uh, 
like the the one Neo Sapien looks like he's about to tell Alec and JT something, but he doesn't because of just like the look from his comrades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we may be beaten, but we don't have to surrender. Like Yeah. Yeah, he, and he's like the one the Neo Sapien's trying to get him to shut up, like his pupils dilate and get really big and he like, mm-hmm. like just gives him that really intense look. It's like again another nice piece of animation in that scene. Mm. Yeah, I always like the eye work with the Neo Sapiens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, very the, expressive. The dilation thing is really cool. I like that a lot. Uh, as JT and Alec are interrogating the prisoners, we see James, who is completely covered in bandages, like almost cartoonishly covered in bandages. <laughs> like literally uh, just his not... nose and his mouth and his chin are sticking out of the bandages. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I actually, I, loll, I lolled a little bit. Because uh, he just like, laughed looks... so loudly that he woke our neighbors up. I'm pretty sure, like, because <laughs> he just looks so like it's like almost comical how like you know it's like in cartoons when you know Wiley e. Coyote or whoever's like in the hospital and they're all bandaged up and the legs up and everything and he just like he looks like that. Shame. I mean, I hope he's yeah. like to- totally <laughs> comatose. He looks like a cartoon mummy uh, with two giant like things of gauze over his eyes. Uh, which is supposed, like, obviously it's supposed to speak to how injured he is, but it's almost farcical because, yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> it just looks silly. Yeah. Um, it, not, Nara is standing there with him, and Marsala is there as well. Uh, and she tells Marsala that he will likely lose his arm and his sight. Um, yeah. Which is, which is uh, really sad, right? Like, it's pretty, this, pretty serious, yeah. This, yeah. Yeah, he 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 has all besides Nara at this point. He has lost everything. Yeah, like his his body, his parents, his home, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, uh, and can we actually we really to, quickly? Like, oh, yeah. how old is James? Because Nara's got to be pretty young. James is still on the farm. Was he like like a teenager when this all started? He. Uh, I, I always think, like, Nara is in her late 20s, and James is in his early 20s. Okay. Even though he looks older, mm. it's the only way, like, the timeline would light up for me. Like, Yeah. I mean, I can see... We don't, we... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, we don't know how young... Well, maybe someone does. Well, I don't know how young Nara was when she joined ExoFleet. Right. I kind of get the feeling that she's like a young lieutenant, like basically fresh out of officer school. So that could even put her mm-hmm. mid-20s because you figure like somebody and I'm like, I'm not a military person, but I've known a few people who at CU who are uh, at my former university that are um, were in ROTC. And like you got to mm-hmm. figure you're going to graduate ROTC at what, like 22 when you graduate college, maybe do some officer training, but that can't last more than a couple of years. So she might be mid-20s. Yeah. yeah, which would put him. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. He Can could I be get like the eighteen, that... nineteen. Yeah. At, yeah. Yeah. Um, Either way, it, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, regardless <laughs> of any of those questions. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very rough. Um, we we cut over to Phaeton and Draconis planning the counterattack from the Olympus Mons too. Uh, again, notably, Phaeton is not in his medical suit anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and Draconis warns that the cloaking device on the pirates will be a, a significant danger to the fleet. 
But Phaeton puts, puts Draconis at ease by telling him that maybe their trust in the pirates will be their downfall, just mm. as Barca sabotages the Resolute 2. Barca, you uh, bastard. Which, actually, <laughs> that, that's like kind of a little more brave than we're used to seeing Barca. Like, this is exactly the kind of thing Barca would talk someone else into doing for him. Right, because he's on the ship. <laughs> Doesn't right. he? Also it's that, yeah, what the fuck? Very, like, cartoonish, but he kind of just, like, sneaks up to, like, something, right? And, like, puts a big device into another device. Am I right? Am I mm-hmm. remembering this correctly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but in plain sight as well. <laughs> right, well, uh, right. <laughs> sneaking sneaking around the horny couple in the engine room. Um, <laughs> a, t- a task in <laughs> and of itself. It's it's lucky they were there, otherwise no one would have been there to fight the fire right away, right? Right. <laughs> At first I thought they died. Right. <laughs> and then they came back a moment later. <laughs> um, right. Uh, again, like this all happens very rapidly. Uh, Winfield and Sabaka are talking about the trap that they're setting up for the Dio Sapiens to lure them in with the Exofleet ships that can't cloak and then uncloak right as the Neosapiens draw in to attack. But they don't get to do this because of what Barca does. Um, back on Venus, Bronski shows off uh, some shuttles he found uh, after after losing his E-frame. And I didn't get the impression that his E-frame was like irreparably damaged after that crash. I guess it was. Right. Uh, when he fought Thrax and he ran into that door. <laughs> you, you, you see them take so much other damage and it's like, oh, a door, the great, like, destroyer of E-frames. <laughs> the door that he totally could have, like, flown through if he just kept his course bearing, but instead he just, like, turned on his side for no reason and crashed through he, it. He totally bronzed it up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, after he does that, Winfield calls Marsh to order them back to the fleet to slow down the Neo Sapiens so the Resolute 2 can be towed to safety. Mm. Yeah, and give them some time to do their repairs, right? Like, Yeah. That's part yeah. of the thing. Okay. Uh, and uh, JT, JT says, you know, Maggie informs JT that they probably can't even make it to space because of how much fighting they've been doing and how drained their uh fusion packs are but uh fortunately they've got these convenient shuttles check out shuttles right in the hangar um and they decide to pull the old trick of putting marcella in a neo-sapien uniform and flying straight into the fleet what could what could uh you know be a better plan what could go wrong with this no one recognizes marcella yeah i like i it would it would be better because later like Draconis is talking on a video viewer and he can clearly see Marsala's face. Yeah, you would like he, the people who I think would like recognize Marsala on site. All of the Neo Sapien generals and Phaeton. Like, what if Phaeton had just looked over at that moment and been like, "That that's Marsala." I mean, they they all would. You got to figure how many of them like would. I mean. Because he's he was the leader of the original rebellion, so you got to figure he's like George Washington to some of these people, or something similar, yeah. right? Like they would all know what he looks like. It's just and like, it's especially with the head markings. It's not like I I really get the feeling that Neo Sapiens don't have trouble telling one another apart. No, because no. he makes that <laughs> or uh, I think it's Thrax makes that joke in the previous episode about how oh we don't all look the same to you after all, huh? Yeah. You know, they can tell each other apart. It's just humans that are racist. <laughs> right. Uh, 
as as they as they pull up, Algernon is working on repairing the sabotage, but he's pessimistic of their chances of escaping the Neo Sapiens uh, as the Neo Sapiens are closing in. The the E frames. Uh, of Exofleet begin to attack the Neo Sapien fleet, and it's got this really cool scene where, like, the the pirate ships stay cloaked, but they open mm. their hangars, so it just looks like the E frames are mm. flying out of like these portals of light. Yeah, yeah, it looks super. I like it, it's super cool looking. Yeah, um, and uh, I really liked when Kaz like gets a lucky shot and takes down a whole capital ship by himself. All it, the, if there's one thing I've learned from space flight, like fighting cartoons, always aim for the vents. The vents. If you, if you, even Star Wars, if you manage to get a torpedo in that vent, boom, everything explodes. It's all over. Everyone's fucked. Yeah. Um, Fate, Phaeton isn't really concerned about about them attacking, claiming that the Olympus Mons Two is invincible, and. Uh, Right as he says that, Able Squad approaches on their shuttle. And this is what we were talking about before. Marsala calls on a video chat. It looks kind of staticky, but not that staticky. And uh, Phaeton at first is like, well, je- they're deserters who abandoned Venus, so just shoot them down. <laughs> first yeah, they, off, wow. They should have sacrificed their lives there. So like, let's just kill them now that they've made it all the way up here. Yeah. So, and then second off, I love where Sal is just like, I bring proof that Trichotis is about to betray you. <laughs> and no one bats an eye. <laughs> Everyone's like, yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very likely. Uh, uh, J- I mean, obviously, Trichotis uh, is like, no, that's not true. But right. yeah, Phaeton immediately buys it, of course. I like when JT asks, like, how did you know that would work? And Marcella says that really great line, when everyone fears you, you must fear everyone. Uh, The curse of a tyrant, right? Right. Um, Algernon is still working as quickly as possible, but uh, Winfield orders the rest of the fleet to abandon the Resolute 2 and make their escape. Um, And right right as he does that, Able Squad begins their attack as they land inside the Olympus Mons. Which uh, I, it seems odd to me, like, why run away when you do still have, like, the whole fleet that can act as, like, a screen for the Resolute 2 while you're repairing it? So so my assumption was that they really, the, the Earth and Mars fleet are still big enough and powerful enough that, you know, a straight up fly into each other firing all guns fight would be a loss for the exo fleet so they have to rely on these guerrilla tactics with the cloaking devices and if they can't do that maybe if they can't do that with the resolute 2 they don't really stand a fighting chance that's fair that makes sense i guess because as we see as we see later the resolute 2 is like as big as the olympus mons 2 right right or at least it seems to be depicted that way right um yeah they're both like enormous ships yeah. Yeah. But then how many other capital ships I guess does the Exo fleet have left and on and on. Fair. I wonder So now I'm like thinking in my head, like I remember when I first found out how big like the Enterprise was from Star Trek the Next Generation. I wonder if it's if they're like comparable size. How big is, is the this... I don't I actually don't know how big the Enterprise is. Uh Enterprise length next generation. 
Oh, that's actually not that big. It's only 300 meters. The Enterprise? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, pretty small. Yeah, that's still like, you know, not trivial. That's large enough, um, but that's what, more than three football fields. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 got the capacity to hold well over a thousand people. Yeah, that, for sure. That's the main thing. I wonder, we, we need uh, someone. To, we need someone to make an infographic where they compare all the different ship sizes, like across different uh, sci-fi so, IPs. So, like a Death Star versus yeah, <laughs> the Olympus Mars versus whatever. I was going to talk about this at the end, but it seems like a good place to talk about it now. On the Bring Back Exo Squad fan page on um, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are some people making like this is in this huge burst of activity where someone is making like 3D models of the characters and printing what? them out, and I think someone made a resolute. Oh wow! Um, it, not like to scale. Well, I mean a scale, but not like to scale with like the the normal toys or anything. But it was pretty big. The pictures that I saw of it. Um, awesome. It seems it seems like this person is working on a board game. Kind oh, of shit. at their own pace. That's um, so cool. Yeah. Okay, if there are miniatures, I will paint them. That's. <laughs> yeah. Just put that out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could do some really cool stuff with some exo minis. That'd be sweet to see. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, I'll talk about that a little later at the at the end of the episode too. Mm. Um. Where were we? Oh yeah. Able Squad uh, begins their attack. Yeah, like someone yeah. goes to basically like let the people from the shuttle into the ship opens the door and immediately gets gets like blasted <laughs> and i just started JT. blasting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um and i and, and like we get more we get more great like back and forth between phaeton and draconis because phaeton's immediately like you were going to betray me and this is how you're going to betray me <laughs> i know and he's just I like i know you're doing it right now <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta figure like he's gotta have like do they not have cameras that show like what's going on in the cargo bay he's just like, like immediately like, we're under attack like oh yeah it's got to be draconis you piece of shit which i mean fair enough draconis is a piece of shit but like you would think so like, i don't think they do because he seems surprised right when he gets there and he's like oh shit these are expo fleet right what it's like not even I like mean, he doesn't even radio down like who's attacking us to be like oh it's like it's it's exo or exo fleet frames like no it's just like oh yeah, it's fucking Draconis. That's what it has to be. I'm going to run down there and deal with this. It's willing suspension of disbelief. There are no security cameras in the future. Yeah. We're in well, a post-surveillance right. world. We, yeah, we everybody <laughs> realized the importance of privacy, and we rolled back all the mass surveillance that we live under now. We destroyed Google and got rid of all the security cameras. <laughs> Hooray! What a bright future. <laughs> if only. <laughs> and then we just had to solve the uh, the cross Terran species or the cross human species genocide issues, and everything will be fine. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, it, uh, so yeah, Able Squad. Able Squad is attacking. They shoot some shuttle techs. Uh, Phaeton is still paranoid, and. Uh, it, it, it progresses very fast. Able Squad disables the Olympus Mon 2's engines, it seems like. Or they shoot something important inside um, yeah. and cause severe damage to the ship. Um, he goes to... I think at this point, Phaeton does realize it's Exo Fleet, and he goes to personally attack 
Able Squad. Uh, Winfield <laughs> is confused as to what's going on because the the Neo Sapiens have slowed down a lot, and Kaz tells him that Able Squad is on board the Olympus Mons too, and uh, hurry the fuck up. <laughs> right, that's right. Because he like earlier on with like Sabaki's like, oh, we're in trouble here, and he's like, what? Don't you believe in miracles? And then now like later on the episode, he's like, after he finds this out, he's like, oh yeah, see, there's your miracle. Its name's J T Marsh. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, all right, man, fair enough. One man really can change the board, can change the direction I of mean, history. You have, you kind of have to wonder though, like, is JT or the Able Squad in general, like, in their minds, are they like, okay, this is like a suicide mission. We are going into Olympus Mines. We're probably going to get blown the fuck up. I uh, feel like at, I feel like at this point, everyone on Able Squad assumes every mission is a suicide <laughs> mission. Yeah, okay. this is this is so definitely this is pretty like ballsy. It's definitely that thing, like, if there's a lot of, like, World War II, like, uh, like interviews and memoirs of world soldiers from World War II talking about, like, you know, being super scared when they first got there and then just, like, kind of coming to terms with everything by just believing that they're already dead. That, like, mm. they've, you know, they've already died. They're never going to get out of this alive. And that was, like, the only thing that let them push forward, which is pretty fucked up, honestly, if you think about it. Yeah, um, not psychologically ooh. healthy for human beings. Right, and then like transitioning out of that mindset to try and come home. It's like no wonder that entire generation were all alcoholics. Uh, right. Yeah. But you know, you gotta wonder if that's not like a little bit of this mindset too of like, oh, let's just go do this dangerous thing because what does it fucking matter? We're gonna die. We're already dead anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And and also maybe the mindset like, yeah, they're. I I think the members of. Exo uh, or of Able Squad definitely know that Phaeton is just going to kill all humans if he wins. Right. Right. And like you either at this at this point you either fight or die. Yeah. Right. Which can be motivating, I suppose. Hopefully, I will never know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like Phaeton uh, arrives and immediately recognizes JT, and they start they start fighting. Um, and he see, he seems to get the upper hand, and Bronski and Alec are like, "Where are they?" And Bronski's like, "Fuck this!" And he pulls out a gun, like it's just a small pistol, t- takes out a Neo Sapien Ephraim, hijacks it, goes and saves JT from Phaeton right. with with the, the stolen Ephraim. Phaeton immediately like puts him in his place, and then Maggie saves Bronski with a shot from her lightning gun. Right, I think. Yeah. That's- yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Hunt. I was just gonna say that sequence is kind of funny. Like, yeah, Bronski basically like hijacking an E-frame. Um, but it's something we notice is when the when the Neo Sapien climbs out of the E-frame, he's shorter than Bronski. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I thought they were all really tall, but am I mistaken? Yeah. Like, are they different sizes of Neo Sapien, and I'm just missing something? I, I would chalk that up to an animation error. Okay. Probably <laughs> like it's it, it, the show does have a lot of instances where like the scale of characters and objects doesn't always match up to like scene to scene. Mm, uh, okay. But you are right. I noticed that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's he, like he's like he way shorter than Bronski. <laughs> yeah, he's like well, a full head shorter than Because <laughs> also, if you think about it, like anytime a human steals a Neo Sapien Eframe, unless there's like an adjustment for like the the thing that their feet stand on yeah their feet are just dangling there and they're like held up by their crotch like how <laughs> because um, because the neo sapiens are all so much taller yeah yeah, yeah. like 
That's a really good point, actually. I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe... Like, I was like, now Bronsky's, like, too big for this E-frame. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. No. it's, it's funny It's funny to think about, but uh, I, I'm i sure there's some kind of adjust, adjusting mechanism in there. Certainly. Or they like just the don't feel seat. pain, <laughs> you know? Because, <laughs> like... They just don't feel pain. Actually, that's a... Have we actually ever seen a Neo Sapien experience pain on the show? We've heard them yell when they get shot. Yeah. Mm. But it's like you kind of wonder. They don't. I don't think they really cover it. But if you're gonna like engineer like a species for like basically brutal slave labor, turning off pain receptors is prior. At least like dulling them is probably not a bad idea. Yeah. Prob- well, I'm sure. I'm sure they have. Maybe they have a way to turn it off. Yeah, or like some kind of input that lets them know, like, hey, because like the whole point of pain is like that you're, you know, letting you, it's your body letting you know, like you're doing something bad to to it, right? Just not doing whatever it is, and like you gotta wonder if like maybe it's just like for them, it's more just like a signal, like it's just like an intellectual knowledge, like oh, like my, I'm getting hurt, I better stop, but like there's no actual like pain response. Mm. Yeah, hmm, I wonder. That's a good question. Or yeah, can they just turn it off when they need to? They they cert- they certainly understand what pain is because they fear things like being dunked in death. lava. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Death. Well, they fear death. Yeah, I mean death's all, that's something else, you know. <laughs> uh, so a- after after Phaeton runs away, um, Phaeton releases Draconis, uh, and they it, Draconis convinces him that like they have to abandon ship at this point. Or no, no, that's not what happens. At this point, Algernon has just finished the repairs, says, turn it on, hopefully it'll work. They cloak the Resolute 2 and immediately begin, like, a side-by-side shootout with the Olympus Mons 2. Presumably, the surprise gives them the upper hand. Uh, They have this really cool scene where they're flying past each other, just shooting lasers at each other constantly. Yeah. Um, It's like old-timey naval broadsides. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, but the, like Resolute just like fades in, blasts him, and then it's like kind of that you get the sense like that by the time the Neo Sapiens are able to lock on and start firing back, that the the Resolute two just like fades out of existence again. Yep, yep. Which is which is the way cloaking should have always been used, right? Right. <laughs> it's like kind of a wonder. It's like how did the Exo Fleet ever win a space battle against the pirates? I would just assume sheer numbers and resources. I guess. Because yeah. it always seemed like the pirate ships were smaller than the Exofleet capital ships. Mm-hmm. At least to me. Uh, maybe maybe I'm the only one who thinks that. But uh, uh, Yeah, I mean, I could see that. Like, you look at the size of the original Resolute. Um, and we, I guess we don't really see enough of that to really get a sense of it. Yeah, I, I think... I. I I I think even if the pirates had been able to do that, the war of attrition yeah. would have allowed the Exo fleet to win eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh Abel's Abel Squad escapes the Olympus Mons too. Uh Draconis convinces Phaeton to the to abandon the ship. Yeah, and he's and like when... he's being really suspiciously patriotic there. Which it's like, I mean, fair enough, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of explain the double-double cross at the end here. But it's like, he's like, you are the Neo-Sapien Order, Phaeton, you have to leave. It's like, this is suspicious. <laughs> this guy who, like, Fine. you don't trust at all. 
Not five minutes ago, Phaeton was like, of course you betrayed me. <laughs> this guy's like, no, dude, you're like, you're the most important one. After you. It's like, uh, I don't know if I'd trust him. Draconis uh, uh, calls up Creon to dock with the ship to allow them to escape. And right before Phaeton boards, Draconis's guards shoot Phaeton's guards and is like, you dun, dun, once dun. called me a traitor. <laughs> Turns out you were right. <laughs> I am a traitor, and I'm betraying you right now. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Oh. I'm surprised he didn't shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, there's got to be other ways to escape the Olympus mods, too. Maybe maybe he's just that cocky, and he's like, no, I don't even have to finish you off. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like, I mean, you got to imagine there's some satisfaction of just, like, leaving him there to stew. Like, yeah, yeah, I outsmarted you, and, like, you get to spend the last few moments of your life contemplating the fact that I outsmarted you. And he literally does, because he dies screaming, Jack Hodor! <laughs> right, it's so good. <laughs> well, also, he, like, we... crashes in on him. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Can we also pause to, like, talk about how cool his uh, guards' uniforms are? Because, like, they're, like, part of it is this, like, kind of just, like, weird brown color, but then they have, like, purple or pink shoulders and gloves and, like, green sleeves. It's just, like, an absolute, yeah. like, color mess, but it looks fucking red. I really I really like to think that someone was just, like, when they were coloring those those characters on, on their style sheet, they were just like, I'm not even going to look at the palette. I'm just going to pick up a color and, boop. Oh, that was <laughs> <Discovery>. good. <laughs> see what I reach for and we'll scrap something random and see what happens. It works. It really does. Yeah. They look they look great. <laughs> it's like more They cool. always look really good. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the Olympus Mons 2 explodes killing Phaeton as he is left behind by Draconis. Um someone asked JT if he really thinks Phaeton has died on in that explosion and JT is skeptical. Um Yeah, he says something about how like Phaeton has like more lives than a cat or something like that. Yeah. 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 And uh, then we see Draconis, who has returned to Earth. He's escorting Thrax, explaining how he's going to publicly execute him to inaugurate his new style of ruling and make sure everyone knows that betrayal such as Thrax's will be punished by death. Um, and then they are confronted by a shrouded figure who turns out to be Phaeton, the original Phaeton, in his uh, medical E-frame. Um yeah, he's also wearing like a weird like Doctor Doom style cloak now, which I love. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, we should just be wearing those anyways. They're they're, they're they look good. Yeah, good. absolutely. He's got kind of Bring... almost like vague Mumra vibes going on here. <laughs> oh my god! Right? It's like <laughs> we, it's definitely like a Mumra reference. Is what it feels like. We watched we watched uh, Thundercats recently. Not not to diverge too much. Well, and there's this episode. There's this episode where Mumra disguises himself as a Thundercat named Pumra. And <laughs> Umra? Pumra, because he's like a puma. <laughs> Is he a he puma that gives into... you a hummer? <laughs> he gets into the to the to the Thundercats base, and the entire time, I can't help but thinking every one of them is like, so, so that's Mumra, right? Should we say anything? <laughs> it's like, no, just let him have his day. 
he sounds exactly the same. He introduces himself. Like, usually he's like, I'm Mumra, the ever-living. And he's like, I am Pumra. Pumra. That's so good. Oh, man. And, you know, like, honestly, you know, I, I probably saw that episode the kid and I was, as a kid, and I was like, man, he's, like, really clever. <laughs> like, he's totally, he's totally misleading these people. It, it's it's 100% Clark Kent in the glasses. Like, Amazing. It's like, That's you so can't good. tell who I am. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> it's like, what what contempt they have for children. <laughs> it's like, they'll never, they'll never see through this disguise. <laughs> Oh, um, that's great and Faye Phaeton explains uh, you know, our cloning technology is great I can even clone myself and I'm sure I have a few spare draconises lying around womp, and then he womp. gets dragged off presumably to be melted like the Typhonus did yep. sure. um, by Draconis and, uh, 1 yeah <laughs> now we get Draconis 2 mm. uh, and we end with a Marsala end card which I'm not sure if we had before I feel like this might be the first time we see Marsala's end card. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Either way, yeah, it's it's, it's a it's honestly I think probably one of the better ones. Yeah, it's it's being narrated by Winfield, and uh, the big thing we learn, which we might have already known, but we learned that uh, him and Phaeton came from the same brood, which you know, would, among Neo Sapiens, basically makes them brothers. Yeah, which I think I think it's only the end card that you get that there's a reference, you know. Um, I think Nara makes another just like one of those like boneheaded human racist comments. I think in the first season where she says like, oh, she's worried about James and she's like, you wouldn't understand. You don't have brothers or sisters. And he's like, uh, well, actually, like our entire brood is like our family. So like I have hundreds of brothers or sisters. Um, and there's like a moment where you can kind of tell he's like, you know, like I think he even says something to the effect of that. He's like, it's hard for him knowing that he's potentially fighting against his brothers and sisters. And so then, like, finding out that, okay, Phaeton's one of his brothers just, I think, like, deepens that emotional mm. turmoil for him even more. Because you do get the sense that they have, like, there's, like, an, in the in the few interactions you see in a little bit of their backstory, you do get the sense that they have, like, a relationship. Like, there's an emotional bond there to some extent or another. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Sad stuff. And okay. also, I don't know, kind of, again, because I think we'll... Do we get more information about um, Marsala's turn from the like Neo Sapien Rebellion into Exo Squad? Like, how did he join Exo Squad? Uh, it, it's a, well, I, it, I don't think it goes into a lot of detail like previous episodes had, but it says like he was once part of the Neo Sapien Rebellion. Now he's on our side. Okay, and it sh- it shows the scene where the the presumably the Neo Sapien Rebellion ends. And Marsala is captured by uh, Winfield. Yeah. Okay. After after Phaeton leads him to him. Right, because um, he was like betrayed by Phaeton, and then right. that's how he ends up joining Exo Squad, basically. Yeah. Oh man, that that brings up like that brings up a good comparison. Like the Neo Sapiens at the beginning of the show wouldn't tell JT and Alec where mm. their comrades were, but Phaeton did. Oh yeah, damn. Yeah, which I think, like, that's, like, Phaeton's whole thing here is, like, as much as this is, like, allegedly about Neo-Sapien liberation or whatever and all this stuff, like, sometimes I feel like this is also really for Phaeton just his effort to, like, make himself feel better for 
kept being a coward and betraying the cause. You know, this is like just his like mm. attempt to overcompensate for that failure. Yeah, it's definitely his grab for glory, right? Hundred um, percent. Not just, but not just glory, right? Like I think that he probably feels humiliated, you know, to whatever extent um, neo sapien men can feel emasculated or something like that. But there's, I think, a deep humiliation that he's the one that betrayed the cause in the end. And this is him now, like, and, you know, he's had 50 years to stew on this, 50 years to, like, let this, like, slowly drive him bananas. He's probably, you know, they never really get into it, but you got to imagine if he, like, as part, since he was the one that, like, kind of caved and showed the humans where the, like, the resistance headquarters were or whatever, is this, like, how he wound up in charge of Mars in the first place? It's like, oh, this guy's a collaborator, (laughs) like, let's put him in charge. Maybe. Maybe, you know, and then that's something that's like probably always irked him. So like he's, you know, I mean, like we're extrapolating beyond the bounds of what the show gives you, but I could definitely see that being part of his psychology. Mm. It's just like, yeah, I'm in charge now, but I'm in charge because I'm a traitor. And so like there's this, you know, just I'm, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but just this like sense of insecurity around this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, he's like trying to legitimize his position by going back and like rectifying the mistake or compensating for what he's done is that what you're saying yeah 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 i mean because like i mean i think there's a more complex psychology here than just like he's a hitler person because like yes he's a hitler person but he's also like you know i think there's there's a certain yeah like emotional and and like you know conceptual depth to him beyond just like he's a he's a totally i mean he's kind of a tragic figure in a lot of ways yeah you know i could even see if they like ever did remake this and expand on things like a potential like kind of a degree of jealousy um or like inferiority complex to marsala who's like kind of marsala is like a natural leader he's very you know like a very emotionally mature philosophically deep you know person and you could see like phaeton kind of feeling like insecure in and like he lives in his brother's shadow in a kind of way yeah yeah totally yeah yeah, uh, and that's that's the end of the episode. Um, yeah. There is one last thing I do want to like highlight from the video card. Yeah. There's a quick scene where they're talking about like they're showing like Neo Sapiens being grown in a lab or whatever, and they're talking about like how like you know all the like people born in the same brood are the are like siblings. And there is like it's like a bunch of lab coated like standard looking scientists, and then there's one in a kind of like pink. There's like a lady. She's got like this like big shock of like cool looking red hair. And then she's in like a pink lab coat with a tie, <laughs> but it's, it's not like even a la- it's like a dress. It's weird. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a, a pink, pink lab, lab dress. dress with a purple tie. Right. It's it's just like very jarring, but also like hell yeah, <laughs> like you rock that style, <laughs> sister. I did. I, I didn't notice that. I, I, I just I just brought it up to look at it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um. So uh, to 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 close the to close the episode, I just wanted to briefly bring up that uh, game effort that someone's doing. Uh, you can look on the Bring Back Exo Squad uh, Facebook page and look for someone named Chris Kelly. Uh, they are posting about something called Exo Squad Operation Destiny. Uh, he's already got a few miniatures made. I think he's got Nara and Typhonus. I'm just going to share a picture of Typhonus for you guys real quick. Heck yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Ooh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that looks really great. It's a nice looking mini. Yeah. Did it so come did keep... it come painted like that? I don't know. Uh I didn't I didn't read too deeply yet. Um it may have. Okay. But Chris, keep up keep up that work. It looks exciting. Yeah. Um can't wait to see can't wait to see where that goes. Yeah. And we had a comment on one of our older episodes, uh episode twenty one, Inner Dark. Uh and I apologize right now for probably butchering your name, uh, sir. Uh Al Young um says uh we commented on the big kind of boxy e-frame in the in the episode about dragon's rock Mm -hmm. uh and he says that uh the anyway the boxy neo e-frame that grabs nara and brodsky may have appeared just once in season one moving shipping containers on venus to remove livestock Mm -hmm. and prisoners in season two episodes prior to Dragon's Rock, we've seen them patching up Typhonus's fleet after the pirate clash and putting finishing touchings on the ginormous fusion cannon. There was no toy for them, so I think of them as engineering and construction e-frames. That's really cool. Good. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up, man. Yeah. Well, nice yeah. detail as well to like notice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank. Always great to hear from some from a listener too. Thanks for yeah. ri- thanks for writing in. And uh, with that, you two got anything to plug this week? Uh, yeah. So there is a, um, a local Denver comic artist. I just went to uh, their – it's a writer and, a, and, the, and an artist and a colorist. But I just went to their launch of a um, new comic yesterday, picked up a copy. It's called Milagro, um, and it's a uh, – it's like a luchador comic. It's about like a kind of fallen luchador who becomes a street hero. Uh, the art's badass. It looks super cool. Um, it's really, really awesome. Worth checking out if people are interested. The, uh, writer's name is Guillermo Zegara. Um, and then the illustrator is a guy named Ross Radke. And then, uh, it was colored by somebody named Matt Strackbine. Uh, you can get it online at rossradke.com. So that's R-O-S-S-R-A-D-K-E.com. Um, there's not too many copies left. They said they did a print run of 400 on these and they're down to like, I think under 50. So if you're at all interested, like go check these out. They're super, super cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a, it's like a full, it's like a, like almost a hundred pages. I think like full color graphic novel, like it's worth the, worth the price. Let's check that out. Uh, I don't have anything besides the, the thing I talked about earlier. Lexi, you got anything? No. Honestly, just <laughs> trying to do the usual boring things of finish my dissertation and throw together enough of a lesson plan and enough grading to like justify getting paid a salary. So. <laughs> yeah, right. And watching Euphoria in between—that's <laughs> pretty much. Oh, I've yeah. heard that's. I've heard that's good. I need to watch that. It is. It's really, really good. Like I don't know why no one ever told me that it was prestige TV. I feel like. A lot of my students have been watching it, you know, for the last two years, and people have, like, mentioned it in classes that I've taught. Like, it's a good show, but it's always kind of sold to me. It's like, oh, it's about teenagers in high school, and they do drugs and have sex and stuff. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, But now having actually watched it, like, it's incredibly well-written, incredibly well-acted. It's even, like, in terms of, like, the cinematography and the style, there's some really interesting choices in the way that it's presented. And, yeah, it's it's really, really good. Yeah, absolutely astounding. Um, can't recommend it enough. 
And it's like, I think some people see it. I've been talking to my students. I'm teaching a media and pop culture class this semester, and I've been talking to my students about it. And they, um, I think some people see this as like, oh, it's like a no, hold, no holds barred look at high school. And it's like, I guess in some ways, it's mm. a little, it's like it's over dramatized. I wouldn't watch it as like this is a show about like what life is like for high school students now, as much as it's just like a really good drama that happens to star high school students. But actually, probably would be better off set in college if we're being honest. But it's really, really good. Can't recommend it enough. And yeah, like Lexi said, like just visually interesting um, in a way a lot of TV shows aren't. Yeah. And uh, I, I will now say like I, I have an appreciation for Zendaya because she is just like in terms of her acting and her depth um, and breadth and what she kind of communicates in really subtle ways as an actress is just incredible. Yeah. No yeah. one that young has that is any business being able to look that sad like oh, wow. she is able to convey a depth of sorrow that is like something that you like can only really experience over a life of misery <laughs> it's amazing um it's incredible how good an actor that gal is um yeah yeah a couple other tv shows uh that are either have just launched a second season or coming up with a second season very soon uh raised by wolves comes back i think this week Oh yeah, um, yeah. Oh, is that this week? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm excited. I think it's like Thursday. I think is the first that is a, it premieres. So, yeah. If you if you I, haven't seen it, catch up. Would you like to hear another joke? It also involves a cat. <laughs> yeah, that actor, the actor that plays father is and mother. I oh mean, like, God. what a cast all around. Yeah. Um, it's I Do think it's, not... it's got Ragnar Lothbrok from Vikings in it also. Hmm. Um, yeah, top notch. Do you know was the second season also filmed in South Africa? I don't know. I just saw. I think I just saw a banner for it this morning on something. Um, yeah, for, for folks who don't know but who have watched the first season, I had this like weird feeling in my stomach every time we see these like big landscape shots of those mountains. I was like, that, that looks like just outside Cape Town. Like I know this landscape. And then I was validated when we found out that it was filmed exactly where I thought it was. And one of the extras is someone that I. Uh, study drama with in college so oh nice <laughs> yeah he gets blown up <laughs> but he was a really cool guy in college so chris fisher shout out <laughs> oh i've been i've been sitting here for like a year being like what the fuck is going on in the show God, i want to know i know it's yeah. so my so uh spoiler alert if anybody hasn't seen it yet so just tune out for a moment if you like but uh my kind of theory is that whatever like the Mithraic mysteries, because Mithraism is an actual like religion on Earth. Like it was like an old Persian yeah. religion that got picked up by the Romans and became popular in the Roman Empire toward the end. Um, but like these like Mithraic mysteries they keep talking about, I suspect something hid the code that they found in there with the idea that it would like cause humanity to produce whatever technology is like the mm -hmm. clerics are using but also simultaneously destroyed the planet so that they would then leave earth and come to this planet for some nefarious purpose that's my I could, that's my suspicion that, that's along the lines of what i'm thinking as well yeah yeah well, I, we'll i'm very excited what happens. and then uh the second wreck uh people are looking for good tv to watch Weirdly enough, Dota, the video game, Netflix did an animated series for, I think, a year or two ago. They did a season, um, and it is shockingly good. Um, huh. The animation's solid. The story is really compelling. 
Um, especially for a video game that doesn't really have a story at all. <laughs> it's just like, as much as I understand Dota, it's just like a head-to-head game. Um, that's like You a- know you've just doomed us to angry letters about how how the Dota story is years in the making, and how could we say it doesn't have a story? <laughs> well, such such in-depth critical lore. Well, my apologies to any Dota fans. I will confess to actually having never played Dota. Um, it became popular while I was in graduate school, and graduate school is like fake gamer sentence. boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I am. I am a gamer poser through and through. I You're will admit. a fake gamer boy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm still that. I'm still catching up on like uh, games from like ten years ago. So my apologies. Nevertheless, the Netflix just launched the second season this uh this week or last week i think and goodness it's it's great i really can't recommend that series enough all right so yeah i think that's it on on that on that note i think we'll call it for the day um thanks for listening everyone i hope you're all doing well in this new year and i hope it continues to go well for you or starts to go well either way yeah cheers everybody yeah bye bye Squad.